Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Ich weine nicht, sie weinen. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I am joined by my co-host Simon Maddox this week. Hooray! How are you, Simon? Uh, yeah, I'm doing better now, but I'm definitely fed up with the sniffles, running nose, and all the sorts of corona symptoms that when you get them, you just spend like 24 hours shitting yourself. You're like, have I got corona? <laughs> yeah. And then a load of like self-tests and all that kind of just panic. Me and my wife both went through it, like a five-day mm-hmm. thing. And it's the first cold I've had in a year. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's kicked my ass uh, for sure. So it's good to be back. Apologies, listeners, if you hear any errant sniffs that Nick doesn't manage to edit out and for my slightly gruff voice. <laughs> you sound more lumberjack than usual, I would say. Well, I mean, if there's any positive to take, it's that. Your finger's hovering over the cough button, <laughs> just in case, just in case. I mean, it brings up an interesting point. Those of you who listened last week will know that we put out a clip show episode instead of a normal episode, and we're doing something similar this week, I'm afraid. Uh, we're going to be sharing some of our favourite bits from the last few months. I say afraid. It's a positive thing. These are good bits. Some of you may be shifting slightly uncomfortably in your seats, worrying that this is the beginning of the end of the podcast. I've listened to many over the years, and the usual process when a podcast is slowly ending is that a fewer episodes, and then fewer episodes, and then suddenly nothing. We want to reassure you that Decades From Home will be continuing, hopefully forever and ever. That's my dream, until I'm dead. <laughs> but at the moment, we're working on changes to the show that will bring in more guest contributors and more voices from people living in Germany. It's something that both Simon and I feel very strongly about, that we should be trying to bring in as many different people. And we've, we've had Dilly on a few, a few months ago, and, and I think people really enjoyed that episode. And it's something we've been looking into doing in the future. We don't want to become an expat podcast, however. There are expat podcasts. In fact, two that I would recommend to you are the et- expat expat podcast which is an actual expat <laughs> podcast the, the other one is the the germany experience podcast which both focus on people's journeys to germany and, and coming here that's really not something that we want to do what we want to do is to bring in people with different perspectives to talk about the topics we already focus on and obviously that takes a bit of time luck i mean luckily i guess i guess luckily the, all these ideas coalesced around simon being sick so so it's actually like quite <laughs> useful. Like we've had some time to stop and think about what we want to do. Uh, yeah, and 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 Simon's obviously been laid out with a with some horrendous cold that makes him sound very very manly. Maybe, maybe even more manly than I do. That's a bit worrying. <laughs> that was what happened last week, but it's also inspired us to think about how we can change the podcast and and what we want to do differently and what we want to do with the next thirty episodes. Seemed like a good point. Like thirty episodes. I said to you fifty episodes, but you were. You, you sort of jumped in with the 30 point. I think it's actually a good idea. It was a better idea than, than maybe 50. Well, I mean, 50 is effectively a year. And <laughs> to have done a year without really having a conversation with each other about where we see it going after every mm. 10, for example. Because those of you who have been along for the ride, the feedback we've got universally is that it's got better and better because mm. at the start, we were complete beginners and this was completely new to us um, and we certainly feel like we found our feet and it's getting better and better as, as the show goes on uh, and yeah we don't want to stop that at all no uh, not at it's all. definitely an opportunity for for further improvement further development uh, and yeah i think some new voices some new perspectives is, is mighty helpful to add to just the simple northern englishman and southern englishman <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, yeah i said to you we create like a foundation to build on and that's what i, I think we always intended to have more people in fact people have asked us when you're going to have guests on and i don't want them to be guests so much as people who come in regularly the listeners know they know who they are and what their sort of backgrounds are a little bit and that they can share their experiences on the topics we talk about and and obviously that's that's part of the fun often we'll have conversations and i'm like we're just the same <laughs> it'd be nice to have someone who's got like a different perspective maybe not necessarily a different p- opinion but maybe a different perspective on things it's part of the fun of living in a different country is you meet people who just totally think differently from how you think or approach things totally differently. And I'd like to bring inject that into the podcast if we can. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the, the other important point is that we never actually dealt with the fact of what happens if one of us is sick. So last week was a little bit of a, like a emergency scenario. I didn't know how to do it. And then I had to sort of work out how I was going to introduce the podcast 
without having a co-host. If you listened to last week's, you'll work out how I did it. But you did a very good job, Future Nick. Uh, yeah, Future Nick's an a vital guy. part in keeping us afloat. We don't talk about the weird <laughs> characters we create so much. It gets a bit meta, but yeah, I think that worked fair enough. Um, I was happy with it. I think that it's going to happen. You're, we're going to get sick, and or, or in fact what is actually going to happen in the future and this is not future nick telling you it's past nick telling you about <laughs> what future nick's going to do other important thing that i wanted to mention is that i'm both moving house and changing jobs over the next two months which is super exciting i'm really excited about it. it's going to be really positive but at the same time i'm not going to be able to focus as much on working on the podcast especially in august so there will be some changes over the next few months but there may be some more clip show episodes where we share stuff that we've done over the last 30 episodes hopefully we have enough content i really want to actually repeat the flag episode because it's one of my favorite episodes so i want to work out what we can do with that but so so there'll be a couple of repeats maybe there'll be a couple of clip shows but uh we'll be putting out podcasts and and so forth throughout the summer and then when things settle down for me a little bit then we can get back to doing doing the work so the next the next two three months just expect some changes a little bit of difference but nothing that you need to worry about so over the last 30 episodes we've built a lovely little base of listeners and we're determined to not let you down but our aim is to make the show the best that it can be. To do that, we'll have to make some changes. If you have any questions or ideas, uh, please let us know, either on Twitter or by email, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, I'm available. Uh, I sort of manage the uh, the Twitter account for at Decades From Home. And of course, Nick is available at 40% German and also at the website 40percentgerman.com. And there is a contact uh, option there as well. So you can reach out to us and yeah, share your ideas with us. We are very open to this. Pretty much everyone that's given us a suggestion, we have run with it. Uh, we haven't said no to anything that I'm aware of unless Nick is filtering out these emails and keeping all the wild <laughs> yeah. shit away from me. <laughs> I'm, fil- I'm filtering out all the World War II questions. Yeah. None of that, thank you very much. No, but I, I, like, yeah, like Simon says, I think, We've, we've done a lot over over 30 weeks. I think we've done more than we expected to do in some cases. And yeah, we've got people who are really interested in, in listening and, and, and hearing what these two idiots have to say. Um, so uh, how can it hurt to inject more idiots, I think? I mean, a lovely guests, yeah, lovely guest contributors. I can't speak to their idiocy so far, uh, but they have, they have agreed. <laughs> so that's yeah. a sort of stain on their record already, I guess. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe it's bringing in sense to to the idiocy. Maybe that's the the way we should that's think about. That's the way we should it. definitely we will be stay, this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we will stay as stupid as as before, whereas we'll be bringing in intelligent voices to to contrast our inane conversations. But yeah, so look forward to that. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hearing from you over the next few weeks. And yeah, let's move on to the first segment. You can't uh, see this, but I'm sitting down for this segment because I need to sit down for this segment. It's been a long, long weekend, eh, Simon? Yeah. It's been a long weekend. Uh, if you hadn't realised, we're English, <laughs> and therefore we are contractually obliged to talk about what happened on Sunday, which was the European Championship final between Italy and England. And I'm not... Well, I'm certainly not over it. <laughs> But I'm certainly less dejected than I was yesterday. We're recording on the Tuesday following the final. Uh, how do you feel, Simon, about it? How are you feeling? I, I'm in a very similar boat. On Monday, I woke up and I was just in a funk, uh, which I guess is to be expected. And today, uh, I definitely feel sort of the, the resounding emotion is just pride. There's very little regret now, which is quite a pleasant feeling because that's always been the emotion that sort of ended a tournament with. Obviously, we're going to get into some of the things that are definitely reasons to not be proud. But the fact of the matter is, nobody before the tournament really gave us much of a shout. And it took extra time and it took penalties for us to to lose that tournament in the end. And yeah, it's been an amazing summer of football. And I think that's the main thing we've got to take with us. Because a lot of the commentators, especially Gary Neville, who's been very vocal during and, and since the tournament, have said that these tournaments shape childhoods. I think there's a huge amount of truth in that. For me, Euro 96 shaped me and the way that I felt about football. There are going to be, there's a whole generation of, of kids, especially in England, who are going to be shaped by this tournament in a really major way and it will affect the rest of their lives. And I think that's something that's really important to remember because, of course, it's just a game. 
Uh, it's just the tournament. There'll be another one in two years when we have the World Cup in Qatar. One year, one year. One year, of course. Corona has gifted us an even shorter gap between tournaments. We'll get over it. And this team is, is, is shaping up very nicely to be a very sort of dangerous element of that tournament. I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy we did so well. I'm happy that the players performed so brilliantly. And we've seen a team that's the best I've experienced in my lifetime, I think, as an England fan. And that's a lifetime peppered with mediocrity and disappointment and failure uh, and flattering to deceive. And this is really the first time where none of those things apply. They were just excellent. Yeah, I totally agree. I find pride's a tough thing to talk about. We've talked about national pride, and I don't have any truck with it particularly. I don't talk about being proud of being English or proud of being German. I think, for me, it's I'm always wary of... Uh, having lived in Scotland, I, I see the there's a fine line between national pride and just plain nationalism. And I don't, and, and and you might argue that Scotland mm-hmm. has uh, benign nationalism, but it's hard to see the how benign it is when it's being when you're being punched in the face because you're English, right? So that's I mean that's my background is like I saw I don't believe there's any such thing as benign nationalism. I think there's nationalism, uh, but patriotism is mm. a bit different, and I've always ha- found it hard to separate the two. But that's the only word that I could use to talk about my feeling on the final whistle on on Sunday before we talk about anything else. It was just like first time I felt like just good about losing. Like I felt like I felt yeah. I felt devastated when when we missed that last penalty, and I felt like confused and and I noticed today that the goalkeeper Italian goalkeeper Donnarumma said the reason he didn't celebrate was because he didn't realize they'd won and and I kind of felt like that it didn't feel like it ended and Mm. then it was like oh god it has ended and and this is really it you know there isn't another penalty to take and there isn't another chance for this and and really this journey was over but man like what I would have paid to have that journey when I was in in my sort of teens because I do think you're right I think it's inspired a lot of people football at least I think in general, but certainly in England, cuts through a lot of things and, it, and it's really got mm. inspired the country. And I think a lot of people were talking about how they'd reconnected with England in a way that they didn't think they ever could. And I found that was like so valuable. But yeah, man, such a beautiful experience. It's a, it's a really interesting word there to reconnect because over the last couple of days was the first time ever I think that I'd used the St. George's flag emoji Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I won't. I don't think I'll be using it until maybe the next tournament. Like it's not a flag that I think. Oh yeah, that's how I represent myself because mm-hmm. I, I view myself very much as British. Yeah. Um. And yeah, the Union Jack would always be the, my first port of call if I was going to use an emoji that's a flag. But yeah, there was there was definitely an element where it was like, okay, yeah, now is the time where it's it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it doesn't mean anything more than just supporting the team uh, and, and the nation sort of that it represents. And yeah, I, I'm happy to go back to the Union Jack now. But it was it was nice to not feel really weird about about messaging people in WhatsApp with, with with that emoji in particular. I think reconnecting is, is a very nice way to put it. I might distance myself again from it until Qatar maybe, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Talked a bit about what it meant, and I think let's talk about the football and our feelings before we start talking about the the less edifying elements of of sunday i've never seen england play in a final ever never seen them play in a final and i was weirded out by how relaxed i was about it and ever since we played germany i've just felt a sense of like like confidence in the team that i've never felt before Uh, i felt like we could handle most situations i felt like we could beat italy and I, and I think we, we, we missed an opportunity perhaps, but I don't, again, I don't, I feel like that's even heavy criticism for a team as young and as b- being built as it is. But I watched every bit, like I've, I was watching in German and, 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 and Simon watched the, the English transmission and I watched the, the German transmission. Contact to Simon going, tell us about, tell us what they're talking about or what they're saying. Like what's Ian Wright saying, you know? Like I want- that, that was pretty much always the answer. Ian Wright is losing his yeah, shit. Yeah. It was it was really wonderful. I mean, I've, I've used the, the German broadcasters for the first half of the tournament, but then once England got past Germany, I was like, I need to, I need some bias. I need to have some, some familiar voices, uh, some familiar opinions telling me how they feel about it. And it really was remarkable uh, seeing these... I mean, English commentators aren't always the most professional when it comes to being partisan. And there was a lot of that just went out the window. Uh, Lee Dixon, 
said some pretty stupid stuff just because he wasn't thinking. His brain was just in fan mode. And at one point, Ian Wright was asked the question before the semi-final. Like, how do you feel about it? And he's turned to, turned to the guy that answered him. The question is like, visibly not paying attention. It's like, it's just really hard to concentrate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, okay, yeah, our pundits have given up being pundits. They're just fans. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, as Nick said, we've never seen a final before. The majority of people working in professional sports that haven't seen the final either and i know that our our german listeners can't really comprehend that because there's been so much success uh, over our lifetimes mm. and yeah the italians have won a lot the french have won a lot we're the the ones who really we could we could really do with one now please yeah, yeah. Can, we, can, we, can, we, can we have a tournament win even when we're lost i could see us losing right i could see in the second half we dominated that first half, and I was saying to my wife, like I was watching Declan Rice just mm. dancing through the the midfield, like he did some barnstorming runs. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. My wife was just questioning us, and I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I've never seen, I've never seen this before. Very much the Columbia penalty shootout. I've never seen that. I've never been confident before a penalty shootout. I was actually a little bit confident mm. before this one. With more fool me, perhaps, but. I was, there's just so many, and I said this a few weeks ago, there's so many things I've never seen before and I've seen. And I think for me, I've invested a lot of my my identity with just the England team, not with being English, just the England football mm. team. The same way I've invested a lot of my identity in being from Newcastle and being a Geordie rather than I'm English. But it just felt these guys are doing doing it right, you know. They're playing in a way that like is respectful. The team itself is so speaks so well. They're more than just a bunch of footballers. I think there's a, there's always a chance to go over the top in these topics. And I think Scottish listeners, Welsh listeners, possibly Irish listeners, will be rolling their eyes. But I think they would feel exactly the same, and they wouldn't give a a flying shit if their commentators were super partisan <laughs> and I think that's the truth is that there's a commonality in that between all those nations and about how they react to football and sport achievement what I mean I'll say this because I'm, I'm inundated with Scottish sort of uh, uh, friends and, 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 and contacts and, and, and feedback from them on social media the, the same motivation that brings people to say oh you didn't beat Scotland is the same thing that makes Ian Wright like go, oh, I can't concentrate. I'm just a fan. It's the same genetic material, you know. Yeah. Like it's a desire to go. Ah, well, you didn't get us, you know. And that's fair enough, you know. And I, yeah. I think it's all the same. I think there's a there is a desire, certainly within um, British Isles, to to go. Always oh, too much media on it. And they say possibly, yeah, you're right. It probably is. But again, first final in how how long? Fifty five years or something like that. And I mean, it isn't just a football thing either. The majority of people from the home nations, if it's not football, then the rugby is is the is the yardstick. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, then it's another sport. Like even the cricket has now become prominent enough between those nations that we can hold that over each exactly, other yeah. when we have the the most recent W. It's an important part of our rivalry and our culture. And I think as long as it remains good natured, then it's, it's a wonderful thing to share with our friends from those countries. Mm. Uh, I, I've got no beef whatsoever poking fun at each mm. other with that because that is the essence of how we communicate with people we care about. People have been pretty sympathetic so far, but of course it's it's hard to see mm. people in reaches of the internet just like slamming all the English because of a few fans. I know it's a few is pretty kind, I guess. But yeah, people saying they want England to lose because of their fans. It's like, well, I'm behaving myself. I'm a nice guy. Well, I, I think <laughs> Just... I think that's it's worthwhile moving on to that topic because, and again, anyone who watched the football will have seen the scenes in Leicester Square before the game. Yeah. I think everyone's seen the the picture of the the fan with a a flare stuck in his ass. Everyone's probably seen the footage of the naked fan dancing on the the fan mile. Everyone mm-hmm. has seen the footage, I think, of fans stampeding the stadium. German media has been full of stories about the racist abuse faced by fans. The Marcus Rashford mural was defaced and it's just yeah. been repaired today. This is the, the reality. There's two, there's two Englands in play here. There's the England that was on the pitch that was re- full of decent, respectful, humble people playing their hearts out and I would say properly heroic achievement in sport at least and then the other side was the thing that I think a lot of people think about when they think of England which is the drunkenness the antisocial behavior the racism the violence 
all in a cocktail together and and that just it broke my fucking heart to see all of that like seeing those yeah. those idiots like, and they are fuck, i don't give a fuck anymore like honestly and you know i'm never shy about telling my opinion but watching them fucking idiots in leicester square i was like where the fuck are the police where are the yeah, police? yeah. policemen yeah. are jumping in and out and pulling people out there was no control over that they knew they knew how bad it was going to be they didn't do anything about it and i just find that is disgusting but it also the fact that people yeah. you can't trust english people the english football fans or just i think but, okay i know i'm talking a bit i'm sorry but the the people who were doing that are no different from the rich and wealthy uh, who smash up restaurants uh, bullingdon club is a good example there's yobbery and thuggery at all levels of class within this british society mm. that scenes we saw in leicester square a bubbling below the surface in all stratas of society i think within england there's always that social we've talked about the social violence it's always there man it's always there and i think you probably felt it was it was inevitable as well i don't know what do you think as you say not not seeing this footage with swarms of police was really distressing seeing stewards who were being paid God knows how much per hour, nowhere near enough. Not enough, yeah. Being charged with trying to stop people storming the gates. Like, it was really, really hard to see that we were so underprepared on what was the most predictable just chaos ever. Like, you only have to go to any football stadium on the weekend and you can see what the crowd is capable of and add in the most emotional moment uh, of the last five decades for an England fan. Plenty of time to get drunk during the day as well with a late kickoff. Uh, it was a recipe for disaster, and I, I, I hope there's footage that's going to come out that's going to show the Met actually doing a, a solid job in places. But from what's been released so far, it's really the England fans were just left to their own devices in Leicester Square, and that is that's the centre of the London tourism industry. Like anyone that was just on a trip to London for the weekend. Like there's a good chance they could have stumbled accidentally into that chaos, and and it just destroys the reputation uh, mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. city, of the country, of the fans, and immigrants like us abroad. Like there have been multiple stories of people in other cities across Germany being like really harshly abused for watching the England game out in public. To be like chastised mm -hmm. by a German being told to fuck off back to your own country because you're watching the football. It's, it's just heartbreaking that that's sort of the, the climate that's being cultivated within the sport. Yeah, fingers crossed there'll be some extremely harsh measures implemented on the back end. I mean, realistically, England shouldn't be in a position to host a tournament anytime soon. How could we? Um, How could we host a tournament? Yeah. Like, you know what's going to happen? UEFA and FIFA can just look at it and be like, look, there's literally 200 people standing on emergency exits in your stadium you can't even police mm -hmm. inside the stadium never mind what's going on outside and security checking as you say there's no way that we can possibly say yeah we're ready <laughs> ready for a world cup uh, or anything well, that's, like, that's it i mean obviously there wasn't violence over the olympics but when is there ever violence over the olympics no one gives it much of the a olympics shit. is totally different they don't, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a totally it's, different thing i but the thing that gets us is I mean, this is stuff that's been pointed out by 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 other more intelligent commentators than, than myself. But you report yourself. Like you don't you don't get to break society, shatter society in the way that English society especially, but British society as a whole has been shattered. Stoke racism and hatred and xenophobia for four years, and then equally not support the team when they're taking a protest against against racism and discrimination by taking a knee and then turn around and go oh racism's bad like the idea that the idea that boris johnson's going to go into the social media companies and like the social media companies deserve a fucking a slap around the chops as well because they don't they do mm. fuck all about dealing with racism they just don't do anything and they don't want to do anything and it's the same with the media the sun newspaper calling them the pride of lions now, the sun newspaper has done more to segment society and stoke racism than any other publication over the last 40 years boris johnson himself going oh you know racism's bad and it's like you're the guy who is the arch racist who's now in charge of the country he is a racist he says racist things he does racist stuff he creates racist policies he ignores racism when it's actually being sort of shown to him doctors doctors reports on racism 
and now he's the one who we're meant to look to. It's just like shut the fuck up, man. Like you don't like he's such a useless twat at the best of times, surrounded by useless twats, you know. When he went to Burma, started reciting the road to Mandalay, like, <laughs> had to be like shushed by a diplomat, you know. <laughs> just like what, loser. what a fucking idiot. Yeah, he he wishes Rhodesia was still a thing desperately. But this is the thing with populism, right? Football's popular. People love football. People now have fallen in love with this team with Gareth Southgate, and he just wants—he wants a bit of that. Oh, I want to—I want to d- d- see me in the same way. Why don't you love me? You know, and it's just so needy, and he's just this total lack of leadership, and it's just such—he's such a coward, man. The whole thing's so cowardly. It's—it says everything that he's more aligned with the people who were throwing bottles at each other in Leicester Square than he is with the England football team, in my mind. I mean, yeah it's hard to disagree with that and there's just so little authenticity when it comes to all this stuff at the moment he doesn't give a shit the it's coming home bunting on 10 downing street it's just the weakest form of propaganda and pretty patel posting pictures of her celebrating a goal it's like send your photographer home and fuck off like we don't need to see this and from what you see on Twitter, there's no one that's like, oh yeah, <laughs> this was a good choice. Thank you for your support. Like Everyone is pointing out that she has said things that are polar opposite to support for this team, calling what the, the, the actions of these players gesture politics. And you hear the words that they have used, the way they've described BLM and other movements being parroted back by these Leicester Square types when they're drunk. Mm. Marxist, burr, all this kind of shit. It's all stuff mm. that has come from Boris's mm. Telegraph uh, articles or Pretty's press releases. It's legitimised racism. That's that's all it's done. Yeah. And now they're, they're trying to save the Titanic and just going, oh, well, we didn't cause this. And the fucking big iceberg that looks like Boris Johnson. You're like, honestly, man. But it's going to work. Like, this is the, the thing. Their supporters, the people that have bought in, like, they're never going to let go of that ticket. The coattail is so tightly clenched that admitting this one thing is then the beginning of the end of the whole belief structure. It's cultish. It's bullshit. I don't believe that. Actually, the, the whole thing gives me... Like, watching that Marcus Rashford thing, there's a beautiful mural of, of Marcus Rashford on the side of a a house and mm. someone adored racist graffiti how quickly the the local community were like nope we'll fix that and then they started putting up flags and messages to marcus rashford and to the team yeah and i think that's the that's the truth of it is the actual communities are the ones who are going to get us out of this i really believe that like, so this is the thing if you if you put that mural in a city that's not his community are they going to react the same way i think if you put it let's, let's say somewhere close enough but not the same like oldham like it's still the same neck of the woods with a similar culture like is is the reaction going to be the same everywhere but i mean obviously he is out of all of mm. these men the most heroic uh, to use the term that we're throwing around a lot at the moment because he has achieved a huge amount as a professional but also uh, as a savior for a mm. lot of kids i mean you literally fed kids he literally fed kids like that's yeah. like what he did you know let's not beat around the bush yeah. boris johnson's party did not want to give kids free school meals during the school holidays that's the party that that, that he's about that's his that's his philosophy is fuck everyone else and marcus rashford stood up with him and, and within what 12 hours he'd u-turned on that policy and every time he tried to do it marcus rashford just tweeted that's why i've got optimism is you've got an england team that actually give a shit about people it's not just a team of, mm. of pampered superstars it's not just a team of bruisers like you saw it with i know it's a simple thing like mason mount giving his t-shirt to a fan jack Grealish giving his yeah. t-shirt to a fan i don't remember that kind of engagement it's a different i think there's a different team with a, a younger team with a different mentality and they're more popular than the government and people listen to them as well. And I think that's the difference for me. Uh, that's where I'm optimistic about it. Well, I mean, of course, these this enlightenment that these players have shown time and time again comes through experience. This isn't something they've learned from a textbook at school. This has come through going through the ranks as, as amateur and professional players, surrounded by people from all kinds of backgrounds from all over the world, trying to, to, to be lucky enough to, to be a successful footballer in the Premier League and for your club and country. They know, no matter if they come from the whitest, most middle class backgrounds, they know that there are people who who are on their team who, who have not had the same privileges and benefits. Mm-hmm. And they it's impossible to feign that they don't understand that anymore. I mean when we look back to the to the beginnings of, of sort of of 
black players in English football. They were booed by their own fans. They had bananas thrown at them by their own fans. And it's taken nearly 50 years to get to the point where that kind of wild shit isn't happening in England. No, we're just what we have is cowards who have a Twitter account and they just send racist abuse because they're a bunch of fucking abysmal human beings, if we can even use that term. I mean, seeing people getting fired for it and getting like yeah, good. found out is, is, is a huge positive, but it's, it's a tiny number. Mm-hmm. And yeah, social media companies have to do something. And of course, yeah, requiring a passport or something for an account isn't a particularly viable solution, but it's the only way you can stamp out racism on these platforms. Well, it's a responsibility, isn't it? You've got a government that doesn't take responsibility. You've got a media that doesn't hold anyone responsible. And then people act without responsible communication or responsible for what they say. And then they all complain about fucking cancel culture and i'm like like sorry like if you say something racist and you lose your job good tough must be shit to be you must be shit to be you right you've just been faced with your the repercussions of your actions that's what the people in leicester square were saying i'm not saying they're all racist but I, i said to my wife i was like I don't think they respect themselves. People who respect themselves and have respect for the, pl- the country they live in don't do that to their own country. But that's what they were doing. Someone sticking a flare in their ass, doing a handstand. It's stupid as hell, and I don't recommend it. I don't think it's like the end of the world. But the, st- the other stuff that we were seeing, the stampeding, the aggression, the, the, the drunkenness, the, the racism, it's all mixed up in this idea that I don't have to face the consequences and I don't respect anything. I don't respect anyone. And I know that seems a bit simplistic, but like, I honestly feel that. I feel like when your society is on its ass is when you start seeing th- uh, thuggery and you start seeing uh, football hooliganism and it's when people feel like they're untouchable. And I think at the moment there's a large portion of these people think they're mm. never going to get touched. And and I think that's the case if you don't have any police around. But I mean, of course, there, there have been lots of reports of fans from the other side being attacked. The majority of them, people living in the UK, were being attacked when they're with their families. Like, this isn't hooligan culture. This isn't ultras. But just, like, attacking fans is just, it's sickening. There's this opportunism that, that exists in these kind of events. Obviously, it speaks to the frustration of, of what's going on in the UK as far as lockdown and the, the madness that exists there. The Conservatives are supposed to be the party of law and order, and we've seen zero fucking evidence of that. That was really an opportunity for, for the Met to put on a display and show how to police an event like this, and instead they've just showed themselves to be completely fucking useless. Um, They're much better at policing, like... Um, d- a, a protest because a woman got murdered that seems to be the really literally fucking, the thought really fucking good in at my that. head get your batons yeah. out let's start charging the crowd but god has it got an england shirt on he's a white guy in an england shirt oh better not do anything we better use she's holding a candle we better we better use like targeted arrests and all our strategy and you're like ah oh, fuck off like honestly like get a grip I, I i could fume on this for hours but i don't <laughs> think anyone wants to hear that and i, and I want to talk about something positive because ultimately that's the, the the what I've taken away from the last the last month of football is just infinite infinite possibilities and infinite positivity. So let's talk about some of the players. Uh, yeah. Who's your favourite England player? Who is your favourite England player in the tournament? I've got my favourites, but well, I mean, my favourite is always going to be Harry Kane. Of course, I'm a total sucker for him. But the player who impressed me the most this tournament is actually Kyle Walker. Yeah. Um, who's an ex-Tottenham player, which means I don't necessarily like him much because he went to City. But he was magnificent uh, throughout. Uh, His pace helped us a huge amount. Uh, And I think, yeah, we we travelled to the tournament nearly with five (laughs) right-backs at the start. uh, And I didn't envisage that that they would all become so useful. They all did a good job. But yeah, Carl Walker impressed me a lot. What about you? Who's who's your player? Who's your man of the hour? We do have some listeners from Sunderland, so I do need to make a point out. I, I, Jordan Pickford was immense. He, he was absolutely magnificent. Obviously, Donnarumma is going to get all the headlines because he had an incredible tournament and was amazing in the penalty shootout. But I think, I mean, Nick and I spoke about Pickford a few times off air. I don't think either of us could have imagined that he wouldn't make a single mistake all tournament. Like He was just... 
magnificent. It was great. He made he made some faux pas, but nothing yeah. that really ended up with any any issues. But it's easy to enjoy Jordan Pickford now. He doesn't play for Sunderland. Put it that way. <laughs> I think it's much easier. But again, same with I had a moment whereas I, I mean I'm I'm always as a as a diehard Geordie. I, I want to see Geordies in the England team, and there wasn't any. And I remember I was I was doing something, and I heard a voice. And it was like that's that's a northeast voice, and I span round, and it was Jordan Henderson talking, and I was just like, well, at least there's at least there's someone from the northeast in there. I was like, I'll take it, I'll take it. It was just nice, and and I think that's that's where I want to end this this bit on. It's just like how how much fun I've had for a month with this team, how much fun I've had chatting to you during the matches, as sort of virtually holding hands when we're sort of <laughs> terrified. I was also also thought it was funny that basically I think the last message. We had like one message, and it was halfway through a conversation during the penalty. I think it was the penalty shootout, just before the penalty shootout, and then it was just dead air until Monday. <laughs> and I was like, "Like that's exactly how I feel. Like it's just I don't even want to breathe. I just yeah. want to like lie in a dark room." So we're both on the same wavelength, and let's do it again in 2022. That's what I say. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of issues with Qatar as a host nation that we've got to deal with, and there'll be episodes on that in the future. But yeah, I. With the performance we've we've done this tournament, like yeah, optimism is is high. Exactly. Well, um, thank you, listener, for tuning into our our basically our therapy session. <laughs> we we'll be back with a, a, more, a more fuller episode very soon. Stay tuned because there's going to be a couple of segments that we've played in previous episodes. So enjoy, and we'll we'll speak to you all real soon. <laughs> So it's episode 13 this time around. Spooky. <laughs> so I got to thinking, really, like whether there are a lot of similarities uh, in terms of superstitions and fears. We've looked at a few things in the past, for example, quark being used as a healing agent and things like that. This is 13, so let's start with numbers. Uh, so 13 is unlucky in both cultures and a lot of cultures around the world. And I didn't really know why. Apparently, uh, mathematicians and scientists, they point to uh, number 12 being the problem here, really, because 12 is often referred to or considered a perfect number in the ancient world. Quite a few examples of why this is the case. So the Sumerians developed numerical systems based on 12. Most calendars have 12 months. A single day is, of course, two 12-hour day halves. And so a lot of people kind of think that just being so close to a perfect number has made the sort of the black sheep of the first 13 digits. Now, there are also a couple of religious examples here. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the Bible for a split second here. So the 13th guest was, of course, Batman Judas Iscariot. In the Bible, Judas Iscariot was the 13th guest to arrive at the Last Supper and, of course, went on to portray Jesus. And also in ancient Norse, uh, there is also a theory that Loki appeared at a dinner party in Valhalla as the 13th guest, upsetting the balance of the 12 gods already in existence. Those are a couple of reasons why 13 might be unlucky. So obviously, let's not be too pessimistic. Let's talk about lucky numbers. Nick, do you have a lucky number? I have two lucky numbers, which... Greedy. Greedy. Yeah, yeah, you know. Don't know why I got stuck on... I've told you about this before. Uh, 7 and 11. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. I think I heard that as a kid watching like Nickelodeon, like 7-Eleven, watching American TV shows. I just like the, the, the ring of it, man. 7 and 11. Mm -hmm. It's like it's basically 711 was the number. Which was okay until like the uh, queer Duncan started using it as their like number. I can't remember what it was for. Like, who cares? It's the queer Duncan. Did they, does anything have to make any sense when you're talking to people who deny COVID and the lockdown? And so they started using it, and it made me question whether it's still my lucky number. But it still is. Still is. Maybe I'm just a a product of of corporate America that I've chosen <laughs> chosen the name of one of the largest corner stores to, to to be my lucky number. Yeah, I think that does deserve some clarification. That Seven Eleven, for those who don't know, is indeed a convenience shop that is very very prominent all over the world now. I think they're easy in Thailand. Southeast Asia as well. It's mm. not just North America anymore. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, a chain that sells hot dogs and Slurpees and chocolate bars. And if I'm right, the, the idea is it's open from 7 till 11. Right? I think that was the original idea. A lot of them are open but it's 24 not the hours same and now, things. Yeah. yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. But 7 is one of the German lucky numbers. So there are primarily two, 4 <laughs> and 7. 4? Uh, yeah, 4 is a lucky number. And it comes from the Glückskleh, uh, which is the four-leaf clover. Right, apparently. okay, that makes sense. Now, of course, this is 
this is a big part of of, of luck imagery uh, in many cultures of when we think of the four-leaf clover in England, I think most people go to Ireland and that really aggressive, stereotypical uh, iconography that's pretty yeah, unpopular today. Well, it's a, it's a shamrock, right? Yeah. So, like, the shamrock is, is... I mean, it's on the shamrock rovers, the football team, Celtic Football Club in Glasgow. They use the, the shamrock as their, as their badge. But it's also the the, the badge of, of uh, Greuther Ferdinand. Indeed, yeah. Indeed, yeah. In your neck of the woods. Indeed. The, the neighbouring, um, uh, well, sort of the rival... Second half of the city of Namburgis Furt, uh, and yeah, they are the, they are the Kleeblad. Now the other one, which is the same as yours, is seven, and apparently this is to do with Marienkäfer, uh, the ladybird or the ladybug, depending on where you're from in England uh, or the UK. And apparently this is because they're often represented as having seven black spots on their back, and if they land on you, it's good luck. So uh, that's what you need to do: uh, aim to get a ladybird on you, and then you're doubling down on your seven luck. Oh, I'm just gonna go outside and find some. Yeah. Well, I think this is the interesting thing with the ladybird. Like, when you see one, you're like, oh, that's really cute. But I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there's been, like, a swarm of ladybugs. Uh, <laughs> and it happened in Portland uh, when we are living there. And suddenly, when you see them by the hundreds, they're, they're not quite as cute <laughs> when they're, like, crawling in through your windows. Nothing in a swarm is good. Nah. I don't know. It's it's lady ladybirds is a is a sign of luck. That's a funny one. Magpies were the thing in Britain. Magpies were a big one. Not not a thing here at all. Like you see a you see a magpie and it's unlucky. But if you see two magpies, it's lucky. I can't remember what it is. You've got to say something as well. There's lots of superstitions about seeing magpies. That's the one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, and four for a boy. And it goes on. And there are also people that salute a magpie yeah. every time they see one including when they're driving their cars, so you'd see people in my village like saluting out of their window at birds. It's definitely not good for insurance claims. I had a friend at, at school who did used to do that frequently. <laughs> we all used to do it eventually. That's the thing. Like Eventually you fall into these. This is the interesting thing with this whole area of, sort of good and bad luck. That If somebody explains it to you, oh, it's good luck, there's a really good chance you're going to fall into that action as well just to sort of protect yourself. So so you said you said the number four was, was lucky in Germany and uh, I did a bit of research. Well, actually, I didn't do a lot of research. I knew this because uh, I studied at a university. The number four in China is, is actually bad luck because the symbol for the number four is also the word for death. Or it's similar for the word of death, yeah. Indeed it is, yeah. I did know that as well. Oh, what? I paid for an expensive education and this is knowledge you just got for free. Disgusting. I I think I I might have also been taught at uni. Well, okay. (laughs) All those fees we paid were worth it. Yeah, so the the symbol for the number four is uh, similar to that of the Chinese word for death. Also, uh, in a similar sort of vein, number nine in, in Japan, is similar to the Japanese word for torture or suffering. So the number nine is seen as is negative. And one last thing, I've got a question for you. Do you know, and this does connect to Germany magically, do you know what I what I would be afraid of if I said to you, I have hexakasoi, hexaconta, hexaphobia? Uh, it's the fear of hexa, hexa, it's, it's... Hex is five, isn't nope. it? Why do you know the word hexa, though, in German? Oh, a witch. Right. Okay, we're getting closer. I, I'm, I'm at a loss here. You're going to have to have to fill me in. If I have hexakasoi, hexaconta, hexaphobia, I am afraid of the number 666. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I'm, come on, like it's not a word that we're coming across. Do you know how I had to watch a video on pronunciation for that, so <laughs> don't get too excited. Um, obviously, 666 is not a number you want to see anywhere, especially daubed in blood on your wall. Definitely don't want to see that. <laughs> okay, so in Germany, there are lots of things you can do, especially as a foreigner, that can bring you bad luck uh, or at least get you reprimanded by people you're with. Uh, so here's a quick guide of some of the key things you'll be doing uh, as you try and integrate uh, yourself into German culture. Uh, so first off, one of the first words we learn when we're drinking is Prost, uh, which is the German word for cheers. Uh, not as versatile as the English cheers, which we can use as a thank you, um, but yeah, Prost. Uh, and when you say Prost, it is vital that you make eye contact with the person you are clinking glasses with. Uh, if you don't, they will tell you off. That's almost guaranteed, uh, because the theory is that you will have bad sex for seven years. Which is a weird thing, I think, to be to be told by someone, like, you're going to have bad sex for six years, uh, seven years, sorry. 
You know, for the last for the last few weeks we haven't talked about sex. I was dead happy that we didn't talk about it. And now you brought it up. No, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's really weird. It's just a glancing blow <laughs> of, of sexual conversation here. Um, <laughs> Such I mean, unfortunate phrasing. <laughs> it was very deliberate. <laughs> yeah, but I, I've seen I've seen you get pulled up on this before. I know I've been mm-hmm. pulled up on it before. We're both really bad because in England you can just kind of ram your glass into the middle of a crowd and vaguely cheers each other and that's fine. It's so intense though. This the stare is so intense and it's just it's like and if you've got like twenty people at a table and you say cheers and you've got to look at everyone. It just seems like it seems very much like a seventies a seventies superstition, you know? It doesn't feel like mm. this was what they were doing hundreds of years ago. It seems like a funny joke that's just been taken a bit too far. It's definitely been taken too far. People need to chill out about the eye contact and just accept that if you're sharing a drink with someone, that's good yeah, enough. Yeah. It, next person that calls me out on it, I'm going to just complain until they shut up. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's Prost. Eye contact, bitter. Yeah, the next one is knocking on tables. And this is regularly seen if you ever see a stamp tish. A stamp tish is a, uh, a regular's table at a pub. Sometimes they're reserved or you'll just be a group of people who meet on a, on a, a day of the week or every day at the same time. And yeah, it's uh, the stamp tish was traditionally made of oak. And it's a holy tree that the devil was unable to touch. It's always the bloody devil, isn't it? He's a bad man. Yeah. He is a bad man, you know. He's got a, he's got a rep. You gotta watch out for Satan. And by knocking on the oak table, you were indicating to your friends that you weren't the devil in disguise. Because that's something I'm constantly worried about. Is like, am I speaking to Simon or is it secretly Satan? I can never be sure. <laughs> Have Blood, you got cloven hooves? Bloodline sometimes. I mean, for me, it sounds like a ruse from oak table makers uh, who are just like, landlord, the only way you're gonna know, the only way you can put your guests at ease is if every table in here is made of oak. And everyone knocks yeah. on them. Otherwise, yeah. you could have all sorts of reprobate guests. Well, they didn't. They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have social media. They didn't have any of the the sort of entertainments that we have nowadays. They just must have been sitting in there like hovels, going like, "What weird, weird shit can we just make up now?" Like uh, oak tables, oak tables. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oak tables. Just one specific and, wood. and staring at each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> elm is fine. The devil can touch elm. <laughs> no, I do like. I do like the. They're knocking on the tables because it's a quick way of saying hi to a group of people. So weirdly, Prost takes up a lot of time staring at everyone saying cheers. Whereas if you walk into a room or a pub where you've got a group of people that you know, you can just knock on the table and say Servus and, and everyone says, hey, Servus. Yeah. And that's fine. You don't have to stare at everyone or go around the table shaking hands like you're trying to trying to convince them to vote for you the next election. Well, this is the other side, isn't it? Shaking hands with everyone when you walk into a oh. pub and that is it's pretty weird. Uh, to do so yeah that's tables staying with the theme of prost for a a moment longer is prosting with water or cheersing with water and of course this is a pretty common bad luck thing to do but i didn't know how severe it was apparently cheersing with water in your glass means you're wishing death on all of your friends Uh, apparently it is it's it's pretty bleak Uh, the ancient greeks uh, came up with this and they toasted their dead by raising a glass of water. That's apparently the origin of this. I say this is pretty standard in most countries. Uh, most European places don't approve of water prose, so the chance of it happening is very low. But if someone tries to push you into it, you can say, I don't want you to die. Yeah, next up is housewarming. Uh, if you are invited to a housewarming in Germany, you should bring salt and bread, which would ensure that they never go hungry in their new home. However, what you want to avoid is spilling the salt as that can cost you seven years of bad luck. It's another seven years, yeah. yeah. Well, that's salt, man. But you, this, the salt thing's interesting because the salt thing, I f- I'm fairly sure this is true. Salt was obviously incredibly valuable in the past. The idea that you would throw it away was seems a terrible idea, you know. Don't throw, be like throwing away fifty euro notes, you know. Don't don't do that either. And so I think it's something to do with the idea of like creating a superstition in order to make sure that people didn't just willy nilly throw salt around, like all them salt fights that we have you know? <laughs> but isn't there also something about the devil on your shoulder with salt as well like if you do spill salt you have to throw it over your shoulder to block the devil the devil's getting a lot of a lot of airtime today isn't he he's uh yeah are you sure are you sure you're not <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be watching simon to make sure no horn, horns appear from his head or I can smell sulfur. Unfortunately, I'm not rich enough to have an oak table to prove myself. Uh, I could do some IKEA plywood, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Satan would say. At least by the Swedish standards, I'm I'm not the devil. (laughs) Whilst we have housewarming, another gift uh, that you shouldn't give is knives. If you do gift a knife, uh, it's believed to cause the receiver injury and sometimes even death. Cause them injury because they don't know how to use knives. I mean, it depends (laughs) how quickly you give the gift, I suppose. If it's in a stabbing motion, (laughs) then I guess I could... Who's giving you this? But yeah, if you, Quick, if, you, grab it. if you do handle first, I think surely this is a, a safe gift. I mean, I'd be delighted yeah, yeah. with a nice kitchen knife as a housewarming gift. Uh, so yeah, yeah, any listeners who come to my next housewarming, a knife would be fine by me. Um, though my German wife might be freaked out. That seems like a hint. Yeah, yeah. I need a good knife. I'm going to turn up at your housewarming, right? And I'm going to intentionally spill salt and then just give you a really massive knife. <laughs> I'm going to go find the most ridiculously large knife I can find. Like a machete. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to get thrown out of your housewarming. <laughs> Apparently, following on to gifts is uh, wallets as a gift. You can't gift an empty wallet, which seems like a sensible superstition. You know, if you're getting a wallet, you might get some money out of it. You've got to put a coin in it to ensure that the recipient will never be poor. I would take a note. I mean, I, I remember when I was about 15, I bought myself a new wallet and it, I was very happy with it. It was leather. It was very nice. And then I realized when I transferred all from my old wallet to the new, I didn't have any money left to put in my new wallet. And that was a real low moment in sort of my own financial arrangements i was like i bought a new wallet and i got nothing to put in it it was yeah it was a quite bit a, a sort of moment of realization that maybe i didn't need that leather wallet yeah staying with gifts uh for another one apparently shoes as a gift this is primarily to, to women apparently and the information we got is you'll only have yourself to blame when they run away in them giving your wife shoes ancient sexism it is it's pretty don't give your wife shoes she might use them to go places and become independent <laughs> like, <laughs> jesus christ i mean there's a thing about new shoes and putting them on tables right you're not meant to put new shoes on on a table that's meant to be i've heard that's a mm-hmm. a, a, a superstition but I think I think most of the time I wouldn't buy shoes for my wife because our tastes are so divergent that I would get her some rocking Nike Air Jordans and she would just think that I was a imbecile. Well, I think she thinks I'm an imbecile anyway, but maybe more so than she would on a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I often request shoes as a mm-hmm. gift. Like it's one of my favourite things to get. So yeah, uh, I've not I've not run away in them so yeah, far. Please buy us shoes. <laughs> We won't run away. <laughs> yeah, thumbs up uh, is the next one. Thumbs up versus the Daumendrucken. This is the difference in the way you display, I guess, what one more to thumbs up, like a positive hand hmm. signal. Hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The rise from the custom of gladiators fighting in ancient Rome. Hands with their thumb up indicated the gladiator would be executed, whereas hands with the hidden thumbs means that they were to live. Uh, it's just an indication of good luck, and, and I think I think there's a lot of debate about what the hand signal for gladiators or for mm. for the for the um, the audience watching spectators watching the gladiator fight what the hand signal was, but it's generally accepted that that a sort of thumb signal was something. But yeah, so what you'll see in Germany is instead of people giving like a a thumbs up, what I mean, what would you see? You would you don't see them. I mean, they they would normally say "Ich drücke die Daumen." Press my thumbs for you. Um, so it's used more in the sense of hope. Mm. Uh, an optimism there uh, than it is there mm. but i think we can just stay with the russell crowe school of gladiators and assume that the thumbs uh, up and down are what they are but i assumed that was a historically accurate uh, mm-hmm. documentary you know are you not entertained you better fucking be <laughs> that's all that's all russell crowe does just historically accurate documentary Sorry. films like Rom- romper stomper uh, and Master and Commander. Just... <laughs> that's, a, that's a pull. <laughs> Robber Stummer. Oh, okay. I, uh, I was thinking was a... like Robin, Robin Hood. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, that's what I think of when I think of Russell Crowe. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll leave that topic behind. And go on to birthdays. Uh, and this is something that I, I've had perpetual beef with because in Germany you will get told very very quickly that you're not allowed to say happy birthday to someone before their birthday that constitutes before midnight and so they celebrate into their birthday so if somebody is born on the 8th that means on the 7th you'll meet in the pub and then the reason you're there is this person's birthday but you're not allowed to mention it until the clock strikes midnight and then everyone says happy birthday and then everyone it's like okay it's midnight i need to go home i've got work tomorrow um, <laughs> I, I think it is just ludicrous 
but my wife is very sensitive about it. But this idea of like presumption is the problem because in England we would say to each other, "Happy birthday," for two mm-hmm. days away, for next week, for next month, even we don't care at all because we assume in our endless positivity that everything is going to be fine until then. The Germans being raised on the true Brother Grimm stories apparently are far more pessimistic about mm-hmm. the likelihood of making it through the day. And so, yeah, you're, <laughs> no, you're not allowed to say happy birthday early. <laughs> I mean, even, yeah. even on my wedding day, uh, I encountered this because we got to uh, the location where we were doing our ceremony and all my friends from the UK, my brother included, all said to my wife and I, our oh, congratulations because they knew we were there and we were going to get married and my wife was just like why are they, why are they saying congratulations we're not married like nothing's happened and I was like yeah but it's going to isn't it uh, so they can say congratulations <laughs> so yeah this is yeah, a, yeah. apparently an issue I don't know if, if this is a sensitive issue in, in your German family I don't know that it is I mean it's not not in the nuclear family maybe yeah. the extended family it's not something I've come across I've been told by people like like I, I intentionally like have my birthday on on days that are not the day of my birthday. If I can have it before my birthday, it's even funnier because you do see German family members sort of going like they've got like a look on their face of like this is this is very obscure. <laughs> what are we doing here, celebrating a birthday that hasn't happened yet? I mean, it just makes much more sense. And if you got a, if your birthday's on Tuesday, like why not celebrate on the Saturday or Sunday before and just mm-hmm. be able to celebrate it? I. Again, I, I'm going to get pulled up on this after this recording is released. Uh, I'm going to get feedback on this. So we'll move swiftly on. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, so we're moving on to from birthdays to weddings. At the end of a wedding, when the bride would usually throw her bouquet to usually the bridesmaids or any women who wish to try and catch the, the bouquet, mm-hmm. or men in, in some instances. Like This is a quite an, like a simple thing to do in, in most countries that do this, like Britain and America, is to throw your bouquet to your bridesmaid or whoever else wants to catch a bouquet and the indicator being that'll be the next person who gets married is the person who catches the bouquet in germany there's a slightly different tradition that involves the bride and groom going to their homes to their marriage (laughs) bed uh while they do this the bridesmaids and groomsmen turn around take off their socks or stockings and fling them in the direction of the newlyweds whoever succeeds in hitting one of them in the face uh, will be the next to marry it's just like this is insane right like this and this frankly did not happen at my wedding like never ha- i've never seen this happen before this seems like a i guess if you go into the Oberfalls, maybe that's what they do there i don't know <laughs> deepest darkest bavaria maybe but I've never heard of this bond before. It was new to me. That's why I had to ask about it because it is just bizarre throwing socks at people's faces mm-hmm. on your wedding day. But I mean, yeah, there are some weird things. I mean, you mentioned the Oberfalds and that's probably a region where this could happen. But I mean, kidnapping the bride is a pretty standard oh, yeah, yeah. thing here. And you have to go and find them before you can have your wedding and like you leave the guests. It's just all a bit bizarre. But British, British weddings would benefit from kidnapping the bride because the idea is that you create a mini pub crawl within your mm. wedding. So you kidnap the bride. Usually the, the groomsmen or the, the family of the groom will kidnap the, the bride. In inverted commas, is kidnapped. There's not, they're not bundling her into a van with a sack on her head, um, hopefully. And they take her to a pub and the, the groom has to try and find her. So if you do it right, you can basically create a little pub crawl within the... Uh, the actual experience it's yeah it's it's all right it's quite fun it's quite fun i'm assuming grandma stays at the first venue and just waits for everything to start up again it just seems like a great opportunity to leave the people you don't want to drink with at the first venue grandma's sitting at the table the lights go out <laughs> just like where is everyone <laughs> no usually there's like only a small group of people we did this at my brother-in-law's wedding i enjoyed that part and like everyone was like they're stealing the bride and i was like i'm going to the pub <laughs> <That> <laughs> It's another example of Nick saying the silver lining. Yeah, uh, always. These, uh, always. <laughs> the, the last on our list of German superstitions is smoking. Uh, it's often believed in Germany that lighting a cigarette with a candle kills a sailor. Huh? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the idea actually originates from a time when sailors attempted to increase their, their, their small and meager incomes by selling matches. By using a candle, you were saving money that would have otherwise gone to a sailor and thus indirectly responsible for their starvation, which is, yeah, pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. Uh, German smokers sometimes knock on wood three times. Again, is it an oak table? Satan somewhere, probably. I'm assuming it's oak, yeah. When using a candle to light a cigarette, uh, this is supposed to cancel the bad luck. So, yeah, there's, there's just 
uh, uh, many different superstitions that you can buy into when you join the ranks of, of, of Germans, banging oak tables, pressing their thumbs, not giving wallets without money in them. There's so many different exciting things they don't tell you about in the brochure before you come here. So ho- hopefully we can avoid someone getting told off at some point in the pub. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if we've done that for one person, yeah. job complete, yeah, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very very weird just there's just more superstitions in germany than you would really think from from the outside the assumption that the germans are quite straight down the line turns out they're actually terrified of pretty much everything and everything being (laughs) satan (laughs) (laughs) hello zusammen that brings us to the end of the show thanks for listening no announcements this week, but as ever, I want to say Dankeschön to you all for the tweets and feedback you've been giving us. We're both looking forward to hearing from you about the changes we're planning, so don't be a stranger. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40% German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Welcome to the Decades From Home Love Line. In a moment, we'll connect you to some of the most exciting and sexy conversations. To choose a list of the sexiest German words, please press 1. Staubsauger. Grillsanger. Kükenroller. Handy. Spülmaschinenreiniger. Rasenroboter. To break some German taboos, please press 2. Mmm. Crossing the road on the red lights. Ooh, taking up the first ten minutes of a meeting by talking about the weather. Ooh, eating a kebab on a crowded U-Bahn. Ooh, driving 120 kilometers per hour in the middle lane of the Autobahn. Press three for some real English dirty talk. Do I have to? Yes. But I'm not very good at it. Do it anyway. I feel really uncomfortable. I don't care. Okay, um, unwashed t-shirts? Is that a thing? No. The grease traps in McDonald's? Gross. Muddy puddle? Keep trying. I want to go home. I don't like this.